The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. So the gender reveal had its heyday probably about eight years ago. And we as human beings, we love the buildup of a secret that's about to be revealed, don't we? How will WandaVision end? Will the murderer, who is the murderer at the end of that whodunit that you're reading? The suspense of, did I get the part or did I make the team? And the suspense of, is it a boy or is it a girl? Well, it takes a fair amount of careful planning if you're the one in charge of a big gender reveal. The parent entrusts the envelope to you where in it is written the three or four letters, depending. And you guard the secret contents. And you figure out a way to creatively announce to the parents, to the family, to the friends, boy or girl. For some unexplainable reason, our friends Jenny and Ryan in seminary entrusted me the power as they handed me the envelope to coordinate the gender reveal party for their third child. It felt like a big weight of responsibility holding this little envelope. I knew it was important for this reveal to be like none other. None of this elementary confetti cannon stuff or none of these boxed balloons. No, we had to build suspense with this reveal. This reveal had to be completely unconventional and completely unexpected. Started with diapers. Gave her a box of diapers. And as she opened the diaper box, there was really nothing to indicate that it was going to be a boy or a girl. And she just looked at me like, huh? I said, it's going to be a baby. And everyone was excited when we moved on to the cupcakes. As Jenny was biting into it, everyone was leaning into her as she ate her cupcake to see would it be filled with bright pink or blue filling. And I made sure to buy confetti cake mix that was scattered with pinks and blues. And she shot me a glance now. Baby's going to be sweet. Baby's going to be sweet. Next was a wrapped gift that we gave to Jenny. And as she opened the box and pulled out the clothing, again, everyone's leaning in, and she lifts up this gender-neutral gray onesie and looks at me, and her glance starts to become a glare. What are you doing? I said, baby will be little. Finally, we brought them down to our basement where I'd compiled this video showing the life of their family up until that point and played the Michael Buble song, Still Haven't Met You Yet. And as we watched the video and had tears in our eyes unplaying all the things that had happened in their family at the end, it said, it will be a sweet little baby girl. And everybody stood up and had a great time and it was awesome. Jesus, in his early ministry, he's much like the planner of a reveal party. Only instead of revealing a gender, he's in charge of revealing the secret of God's kingdom. A revolution where God will take charge once and for all. How's it going to happen? 
And the people of God's day had all sorts of expectations when and how the kingdom is going to show up. The Pharisees, they believed that if they kept the law consistently enough, that God would reward them with a king. The Zealots believed if they raised emotion and outrage high enough, God will surely respond with a king. And the apocalyptics, they believed if they read the signs of the times so carefully, they could predict the when and the how of this king. But Jesus is holding an envelope, knowing it wasn't ready yet to be opened, and knowing the five-letter word it contained on the inside of this envelope, knowing the secret within the envelope of the kingdom of God was going to be revealed, but not in a way that was expected. The kingdom of God is going to be revealed unexpectedly. And he asks his audience and he asks us this morning, how will you respond to the reveal? A reading from the gospel of Mark chapter 4. And Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scattered seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and day and night and the seeds sprout and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants And puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Friends, this is God's word. The kingdom of God is going to be revealed unexpectedly. How will you respond to the news? Jesus is once again, he's teaching in a public setting and he's using insider language like we talked about last week in the parables to describe the contents of the kingdom envelope. Clues, indicators. Not just for the sake of building suspense like I did with Jenny and Ryan at their gender reveal, but for the sake of revealing who is in the kingdom and who's outside of the kingdom. 
because their response to his clues revealed something. For those who were on the inside, those whose ears perked up, they wanted to hear more. They wanted to understand more. And as verse 34 says, he explained it to them. But for those on the outside, those whose ears were stopped up with their own belief that they already knew what the contents of the envelope was, they didn't want to hear. They didn't want to listen. So in today's passage, Jesus gives four clues, four indicators of what is inside that envelope. And the question for us today is, how will we respond when it's opened? The first clue, verses 21 to 23. A lamp, a lamp bringing the light of God will be revealed. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a crowd that's filled with a lot of different soils. You remember from last week? They will not all receive the seed or the word he's sowing. In fact, 75% will not receive it. There are religious leaders in this crowd who are forming a plot on how to destroy Jesus. There are crowds who are in this seedbed that are planning to say, crucify him. And Jesus, in his first clue, says this. Is the lamp that's coming in going to be hidden under a bed or a basket? We can sometimes read this passage and we immediately hear our five-year-old selves singing, Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We might hear this verse and some of us feel like an evangelistic guilt. Like, I'm not shining Jesus enough in the world like I could. But that's not the context of these words. Jesus is actually bringing charges against those who want to snuff him out, his enemies. Throughout the Old Testament, the lamp of God was God promising himself to come and light up the darkness with his presence. And Jesus is saying here, with this bushel and bed speak, it's going to happen. Secret will be out. Lamp will be put on a stand. Light will invade the darkness. No matter how much you try to snuff it out, it will be revealed. So how does a person respond when light comes to invade our darkness? With hiding or with hearing? He who has ears this morning, let him hear. If you've ever lived in the South, you're familiar with a creature who responds by hiding when light invades the darkness. Right, Amy? Do you know what I'm talking about? Wes, you're nodding? Cockroaches! And fun fact, they're not technically afraid of light. Cockroaches aren't afraid of the light. Instead, they're afraid of the threat that comes with the light. So these creatures, who, another fun fact, do not have ears to hear, (laughs) scatter when the threat comes in the room, when the light is in the room. But on the other hand, what creatures love to have light invade a dark room, Charlie? You're raising your hand. Children. We want the light on, don't we? Jesus is announcing the lamp to encourage those with ears to hear that there is a light being revealed that doesn't leave any place to hide. 
will you hear the light as it is revealed. There's no darkness he will not uncover. There's no sin that will not be outed by him. There's no place where you will be able to run and hide from his light. So what is your plight when out comes the light? What do you do when the light exposes you? Jesus then reveals the second clue. A measuring stick, a measure, as the scale of God will be revealed in verses 24 and 25. Jesus says, in essence, in verse 24, Take note that when this light is revealed, with the scales that you're using to measure things, the same scale will be used on you. What's the important thing about scales in order for them to be good? A good scale needs to be measuring things accurately and rightly and fairly, right? And there are two scales that we as human beings can use. We can measure things rightly with us as the standard of good. Or we can measure things with God as the standard of good. And the statement Jesus makes will be very familiar to a Jewish, Jewish audience because the Jewish proverb went something like this. With the pot you cook in, you will be cooked in. With the pot you cook in, you will be cooked in. And again, he's bringing a deadly charge against the earless. And he's bringing a living hope to those who are willing to listen. How does that play out? So when I decide that I'm the measure of good, what happens? Everyone is judged mercilessly. God is judged when I'm the measure of good. People are judged when I'm the measure of good. Even I myself might be judged mercilessly when I'm the measure of good. Just go on a thread of any social media post or blog or feed. And look at the comments beneath the blog or the feed or the post. The comments are, for the most part, indicators of scale. Whether what was written or said or blogged or posted agrees or disagrees with the person responding. I liked what you said. I'm the scale. I thought it was good. Amen. Bravo. That was great. Say it again. Preach it. Or... You're an idiot. Get your head out of the sand. Okay, boomer, enough talking. The Pharisees of Jesus' day made themselves the standard, the scale of holiness. And God's kingdom, in their eyes, had no room for sinners. None. Especially Gentiles. But when God becomes our standard, when God becomes our measure, when God becomes our perfect scale, what happens to all of us? We can either scatter like the cockroaches and hold our fingers in our ears as we continue to judge those around us in our own twisted and biased ways, or we can fall to our knees knowing that at the bottom of our souls, as we see the perfection of God, we fall so very short. We're sinners. I'm undone. I see my need for mercy and I ask God who promises and describes himself as a God who is gracious and merciful. Would you be truly who you say you are when I say, have mercy on me, a sinner? 
But Jesus warns in this passage, at the time of judgment, when the kingdom of God is revealed, only one measure will be used, the right measure, God's. It will be too late to cry out for mercy. Like Agatha, if you watched WandaVision, the evil witch who was attempting to overthrow Wanda as she's solidly, definitively defeated, she shouts to Wanda, please, no. And Wanda's like, too late. You're done. Justice will be served. Every good grace of God, Jesus says, including the mercy of his holding back judgment on us, holding back our death penalty, that's going to all be taken away. And hell, which is the absence of God's presence, God's experienced presence, it's going to be the answer to the holy scale of God when it's met with a sinner who does not repent. How will you respond to these two scales? Will you, consider, will you continue to be the standard of judgment, doling out your judgments against anyone who is not like you or is, who is painfully better than you or shamefully worse than you? No. Allow God's measure to be your measure, revealing not only his perfection, but also yours and the rest of the world's imperfection and sin. In its awful, knee-dropping light, judgment is coming. And to Jesus' audience, when he says, even what he has will be taken away, he knows that their rejection of God as the measure will have deadly consequences. Because if you do respond by allowing God's penetrating light to be revealed in you and show you God's scale measuring you as a sinner the last two clues of this parable will provide you with hope. The third clue, a growing seed as the work of God will be revealed, found in verses 26 to 29. Jesus describes the kingdom as an unseen process, something the naked eye can't see happening. As the sower scatters the seed, down below the surface, The earth is working growth into motion. And Jesus describes the seed in the singular, which should give us pause that he's talking about an individual. God is doing a work in this seed that is leading to an end, a harvest. When does the harvest begin according to verse 29? When the grain is ripe. We see the word ripe in our translation and think, nothing confusing about that, right? You harvest fruit when it's ripe. But what's really interesting about that Greek word that Jesus uses is it's not a term exclusive to ripeness. It's a term used later in Mark's gospel. It's the word paradidomi, to hand over. Let me retranslate it to you for a second then. When the grain is handed over, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Mark 9, 31 uses the same word. Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to be ripe. The Son of Man is going to be handed over. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. 
below the surface as Jesus is teaching and healing and preaching. Many unaware, unaware of what's going on behind the surface or underneath the surface. Jesus is preparing God's work, that sickle. A work that is not in man's hands, not by man's doing. You see, all of the Pharisees who believed that they could behave in such a way so that God's harvest could come, fruitless. All the zealots who believed they could stir up the world so that God's harvest could come, fruitless. All the apocalypse who could believe they could predict the right signs so God's harvest could come, fruitless. The only one who knew the way for God's kingdom harvest to begin was the one who went to the cross. The singular seed who fell from heaven and took up residence on earth. And he's going to do it in an unexpected way. This is how to know when the kingdom of God has begun. When the seed is handed over. When the seed is betrayed, arrested, flogged, mocked, spit upon, undressed, pierced, crushed, suffocated, separated, substituted, slain, and sacrificed. The harvest comes when the seed we least expected becomes the sacrifice we most needed. A perfect one. The lamp of God is revealed in Revelation chapter 21 as it's described. The lamp of God is the Lamb of God. On a stand, displayed for everyone to see. Behold the love of God displayed in the work of God that only He could do on the cross. How do you respond to the work of God? In the handing over of the seed to the sickle. When you look at the cross. Are you opening your eyes or your ears to hear that standing. Or shining, excuse me, on that stand is Jesus. Or do you run from the cross? Not wanting to see how sinful you really are. Or do you just bask in the light of it? Seeing the love of God's forgiveness displayed. Are you opening your ears to see that here are the scales of God's holiness? This is the scale. This is how severe it is. Or do you by your own scale judge him? He's a fool. He's an idiot. He's misguided. Good example, but misguided. Or do you believe... It is finished is now spoken over you as the scale of God's perfection. Jesus is met not in your own works, but in his. He who has ears, let him hear the kingdom of God is revealed in the work of God displayed on the stand. A work which began with a sickle, began with a cross, but it ends, friends, it ends with a castle. The final clue is given in verse 31. The smallest seed Becomes the largest tree. As the glory of God will be revealed. See that in 30 and 30, 30 to 32. Jesus uses a tiny mustard seed. It's on the front of your worship guide. A tiny mustard seed. An image never used in the Old Testament. To describe the seed that's going to be handed over. This little seed that's going to fall to the ground and die. And to the listener, when they heard the word kingdom, when we hear the word kingdom, what do we think of? We think big, we think sizable, we think huge. And kingdom success was measured by size that you could see with your eyes. I experience this all of the time. 
as people who are outside of All Saints measure the success of this church plant by size. So how big are you? How big are you? How many people you got? And I like to respond. I don't always respond this way, thankfully. But I want to respond with, it's not the right question you're asking. The better question is, how big is Jesus? How big is Jesus? Let me tell you that. That's the question to be asking. And that's what Jesus paints in this last parable reveal. A picture of a tree that began with the humblest of beginnings. So small, so hard for the eye to see, but growing so large that the world has nothing to compare to it. So large that the birds of the air, which would be a picture in the Jewish year of the Gentiles, would have a place even to shade themselves in it. What are those creatures doing in, those, in that enormous tree? What does the passage say? What are those birds doing? They're being shaded. They're being protected. They are at rest. They are at home. They are shaded from the light of God. With, without protection would burn us up in our sin. They are shaded from the scale of God, which without protection would send us away to hell forever. They are shaded from the judgment of God, which was worked out on Christ instead of us. They are shaded within the love of God as they find themselves resting and sitting in the protective arms of Jesus, the unexpected king. Jesus is the one who considered kingdom not being about bigness, not being about equal to God. Jesus was the one who emptied himself like a tiny mustard seed by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He lowered himself by becoming a man of the soil and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that God exalted him as the tree of life, as the king of the castle and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus at the end of time every knee is going to bow every tongue is going to confess that you are Lord and is being exalted to the greatest place to the largest tree he invites us come in come in come into my shade come into my protection how will you respond to his invitation? Will you respond by making yourselves small as well? Knowing that it's not you who you're living for. Your chief end is not to glorify yourself. It's to glorify the one who made himself small so that you could live. Enjoy the warmth and light of his love and protection. Rest in his righteousness that he's given to us. Glory in the greatness of who he is. And get small, sinners. Get small, saints. Die to yourself. Die to your own kingdom. And shade yourself in his. Our lives, friends, are an open envelope of Jesus revealed. He is the king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your reveal. No one saw the cross coming. No one saw the cross coming. Except Jesus. 
even as Jesus announced it to his disciples, said, I'll be handed over. Peter, Jesus' best friend said, no, not on my watch. No one saw it coming. But Father, thank you for Christ's work in being the seed, the little seed who is crushed on the ground so that we Gentiles can find ourselves shaded and protected in the home that is your son. May we continue to abide in him by allowing your light to invade our darkness. Father, by allowing your scale to show us our sin, by seeing the work that you've done for us on the cross, and Father, by getting small so that you might be revealed in us. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.